Pride is the sin that caused Satan to fall like lightning from heaven. It's the sin that caused Adam and Eve to be banished east of Edom. It's the sin that brought suffering and death into the world. Gregory the Great, he called it the queen of the sins, queen of all sins. And that when pride takes over a heart, that this queen of sins unleashes her generals, the other deadly sins, the remaining six deadly sins who begin their work plundering and taking root. Our gospel today gives us the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, sometimes called the publican and the Pharisee. And it is a parable meant to warn us about this deadly sin of pride. Now, I should say right at the beginning, we use pride in a very different way in English today. We might say something like, I'm proud of my work. By that, we mean we take satisfaction in doing a job well. That's not the sin of pride. Pride is an inordinate esteem in ourself. It's inordinate because it's divorced from reality. We want to appear more exalted than we are in reality and in truth. But before we jump into this parable, we need to get one thing really clear. The tax collector, the publican, he is guilty of very serious, grave sins. Sins that were obvious in his day. Sins that aren't exactly obvious to us. Yes, we may not like paying taxes in April. We might not be fond of the IRS, but none of us, I would hope, holds them in disdain like Jews of the first century held tax collectors. The tax collector uh, was Jewish, but collected taxes on behalf of Rome. And so he was seen as a traitor to God and country. He'd rather serve this pagan empire and serve it at the expense of his own people than be faithful to the law and the prophets. But taxes were collected very differently in the ancient world than they are today. The way it would go was that Rome would would estimate the taxes of, say, an entire town. Let's just, for the sake of argument, say Nazareth. Let's say Nazareth owed the equivalent of $10,000. A tax collector would pay Rome that $10,000, and then he would go and collect to make up, uh, to get back his money, so to speak. And anything he took over the 10000 he could keep. So it was a system that was just open to abuse. It was waiting for somebody uh, to just come and ransack their neighbors to enrich their own pockets. And that happened time and time again. All of this is to say the point of the parable is not that the tax collector was secretly a great guy. He wasn't. The point of the parable, though, is that his sins are obvious. The Pharisee's sins are not because they stem from pride. And pride is so deadly because it is so often hidden. You know, look at the Pharisee's prayer. What does he say? Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, and adulterous. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. Content of that prayer, fasting and tithing, good things. Uh, Not being greedy, dishonest, adulterous, 
good things. But pride can worm its way in to even the very best of spiritual practices. It can poison even the greatest of spiritual virtues. And that's what we see in the Pharisee, right? Pride has wormed its way into even his very prayer is an expression of his pride. We see that in the fact that he is convinced of his own righteousness and despises everyone else's, we're told before the parable. Pride, this distortion of reality, is the queen of the deadly sins. The good news, though, is that we also catch a glimpse of the antidote to pride, which is humility. Now, just like we can misunderstand pride, people can be confused about humility as well. Humility is not denigrating ourselves. It's not thinking less of ourselves. It's not beating ourselves up mentally. If pride is a distortion of reality, humility is living in reality. Humility, St. Thomas Aquinas says, is to see us as God sees us, as we really, truly are. To see us with our struggles and our faults and our vices. To see us um, also for our strengths and our good qualities. But, you know, it acknowledges reality. And we see that in the very word humility, which comes from the Latin word humilis, refers to the earth, the ground. It's a reminder that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. But even though we're dust, we have a God who loves us and calls us to eternal life, calls us to not remain dust, but to share in his own interior life. That's why it is not pride when St. Paul in our second reading says, I have competed well, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, From now on, the crown of righteousness awaits me. He's living in reality because Paul learned the hard way that power is made perfect in weakness. He learned the hard way that he would have to rely on the strength of God. He would have to cooperate with the grace of God if he was going to endure the trial upon trial that he faced in his life. He so relied on God's grace that he's able to honestly say, I no longer live my own life. It is Christ who lives in me and I in him. And so it ought to be with us. Humility is the foundation, the cornerstone of the spiritual life because it acknowledges our dependence upon God, our need for him, him and his grace to even take the first steps in the Christian life, in the, this pilgrimage to heaven. And as is suggested in this gospel, humility is born out of prayer, right? Once we realize our dependence on God and our need for his grace and mercy, like the tax collector, we ought to bend the knee and say, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Yes, I'm dust, but you have called me to be more than dust, and by your mercy and grace, so it will be. Let us pray that we grow in humility. Let us pray for the grace to daily bend the knee and say, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner, so that one day we too can, like St. Paul, say, I have competed well, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, a crown of righteousness awaits me, not because of I'm such a great guy, but because God's so good and had mercy on me, a sinner.